make sure it's a pipeline and not a pipe dream. If it's a deal that you know and the customer or prospect has said is never going to happen or won't happen, get it out of your pipe dream, get it out of your pipeline. Welcome to the Sales Expert Podcast, where we explore the world of sales from the perspective of industry experts and thought leaders. My name is Oshin Brown. And I'm Darrell O'Connor. And this podcast expert is John McArdle, Vice President of Worldwide Sales for Channel Mechanics. John, how are you? I'm very well. Tell me a bit about your background and how you got into sales. Start with a surprise. I'm an engineer by trade, Oshin, so not your dyed-in-the-wool salesperson. So my background is a qualified as a, an electrical, electronic engineer. Didn't really enjoy that, so got into software and was a software developer slash software team lead project manager for many years. But 10 years ago, had an opportunity to transition into this whole world of inside sales and got an opportunity to learn that craft with a US multinational that was setting up its operations here in Galway. And that was a very immersive experience about this whole new world of what, what's now called inside sales. Uh, I guess why make the transition? I say this somewhat tongue in cheek, but as an engineer, I used to go out on the road with a lot of different salespeople. And I was often amazed at uh, how many times they actually tried to sell something that we didn't actually have or do. So I thought, okay, I'll put myself in the seat and build a trusted relationship with customers and try and actually sell what we do. And can we solve the problems they solve with, you know, much more honesty and transparency about what they do. So I guess I wanted to, to sort of change it up a little bit and see, could I step out of my comfort zone? And what, why do you think that happens? Why do salespeople sell outside the scope? Is, is it a fear of not pleasing the potential customer or a fear of losing that potential customer? I think one thing I've learned, I've worked with what I would call some incredibly talented, brilliant salespeople. And, you know, if I'm being quite honest, they may not always be the most likable of characters to back office engineering teams and other people in the business, but they have a, a tremendous rapport and relationship building capability with customers to really figure out, you know, what the customer wants and listen while you think they're not really focused, but they actually have an incredible ability to build a personal relationship with a customer ticket you know, outside the business context first, like we just started maybe talk about sport or what they're interested in, what their passion is. And then they start to get in and understand, you know, a little bit more about what the customer wants. But I think they're they're clever in the sense that they're humble enough not to even commit to understand 100% of the technical nuances sometimes what customers want, but they're humble enough to realize that the customer has given them enough information to form a solution, value proposition, that they might need to round out with other more technical experts. But the very, very good sales people that I've worked with, you know, first and foremost, build seriously good trusted relationships with their prospects. They build that warm, engaging style and they get ahead then of their competition, you know, by making sure they round out a team that can actually bring the deal to closure. They're not, uh, you know, that traditional thing about, the lone wolf salesperson or, you know, going out and, 
you know, going into a vacuum until they bring in the deal. I think those days are well and truly gone now. It's a team sport. And John, can you give us a bit more insight into inside sales and what that what that involves, particularly with yourself? Yeah, so if you look at the world, you know, and certainly I guess the world is transforming in many ways. Like I work in the technology sector and for many, many years in my early career, it was primarily a physical product or some form of product that you had to install on the customer premises, you know, by physically being there. And, you know, certainly in the last 10 to 15 years, particularly with the advent of the web, but particularly the software as a service technology now, firstly, you don't have to install products on a customer site. And in fact, you don't even have to meet customers or be with a customer to to actually sell or pitch your words as well. And it, it, it's known in our industry as the, the consumerization of IT. So many people today are very happy to consume services and have never met a salesperson, Netflix, Spotify, and that consumerization of IT has crept into the business world where people are saying, okay, well, if your product is good as you say it is, then you should be showing me reference customers that I can access and talk to. You should be showing me case studies. There should be reviews in trusted sites around the world that I can reference. And I'll also talk to your competitors just to get a reference point. So the web has opened it up in many ways for inside selling in that more than 60% of a buyer's journey is done online today, right? They can do the research that you have access to. In fact, they can research more because they have a more open opportunity to talk to your competitors. So that journey now to inside sales starts with the customer just doing basic search research into what solutions are out there to the potential problem they're facing. They can also talk to people in the industry sector, talk to analysts, talk to consulting people. And they're usually closer to two thirds down their buying decision path before they'll approach any one vendor that offers a particular solution in that space. So inside sales has proved to be hugely challenging for people now in the world of sales that don't know how to do good primary research, don't know their own product stack deeply and widely in order to answer any question that could be fielded from them and don't know how they stack up against their competitors. So today, salespeople need to be a real mine of information to front that first sales call and get credibility from the very first interaction with the customer. Now, once you've got that, you can start to build up and bring in wider wider teams. But inside salespeople need a very big range of knowledge and skills and interpersonal skills to take those initial customer conversations. And when we talk about inside sales, there's a lot of confidence needed, especially when you're cold calling and qualifying the leads and to get that, to get talking to the correct person. What does that process look like for you? Yeah, so in terms of um, our company and indeed other companies that we've worked in, there's been a whole disaggregation, if you want to call it, of the sales person or salesperson role. So today what you start with is marketing so marketing is first and foremost there has to be incredibly close alignment with marketing to sales and that's digital marketing uh, corporate marketing around the, the the brand 
around the website, around going to events and furs. And then you've got demand generation. So we have teams of people across the world that are focused on all aspects of that digital corporate event demand generation marketing. Uh, that'll range from people that are specialists in just crafting search engine optimization to funnel prospects down into what we do to people that are brand ambassadors, you know, really representing our brand out into the industry forums relevant to our space to people that literally, as you say, actually have to sit behind that hard task of just getting the bank of numbers and making those cold calls out. And that is very traditional, you know, across many industries. It's not unique to B2B. It's also on B2C, but it's a really special skill set to have somebody that can just literally, you know, pick up the phone and make that outbound dial and deal with probably a 95% plus rejection rate, even just to get to get a response on the other side. Now, when that process is finished and with look, you've got a meeting or a follow-up call, that's where we start to engage our first level sales professionals, you know, account execs that know the product stack and can take it further down the funnel to a deeper discovery with the customer in terms of what they're trying to do, what existing challenges they have, what solutions they've tried before, what, what may be working, what's not working. And that's really about qualification. So the greatest gift for any salesperson or anybody along that funnel is the gift of time. We have to be ruthless about qualification. So that you know, second stage call after the cold meeting has been set up is really about figuring out simple formula. Does the customer have budget? Do they have the authority to make any spend if there is a project that's real? Do they have a compelling business need? And do they have a timeline to actually do something? You know, is this a real opportunity? So ruthless qualification is something that, you know, we see in that inside sales model. You know, people can spend time unwisely, you know, chasing things that are never going to become real. And if you get beyond that, then you're into... Typically, the customer prospect will want to see this in action. You'll end up having to serve up a demo. And if the customer likes that, you will be brought through how you solve their particular business pain. You know, that's top of mind right now. And for the more enlightened customers, they'll be a little bit forward thinking, you know, is this a solution, a product, an offering that you've got a service, whatever it might be, that can actually help them as they scale or grow their business. So, you know, quite often the real skilled salespeople, not just solve and show how you solve the immediate pain or the one that's been asked, but they'll open that little chink of doorway to see, can you become, you know, a platform of choice, a future proof platform of choice or solution of choice for that customer without overselling in the first instance. And going back to the process there, you're talking about having specific roles that are only doing the, the lead gen or demand lead. So the discovery call, some might call it, and a specific role that's only doing the demos or, or demoing the product. And then would you have specific roles that are just closing? That's all they're doing is closing the deal, bringing it over the line. We have some people that 
really focused on that. Other companies I've worked in, they were absolutely just people focused on taking it from the demo to the closure stage. But typically what you're seeing today is you've got that um, business development rep. That's the person making the cold call out. You may have an inside sales rep that takes it then from that initial cold call meeting made up as far as demo or proposal possibly. You've got a dedicated solution or sales engineer that can actually showcase the product. And then you bring in the team of people that can help bring that full proposal to a commercial win, you know, and that team could be much bigger. So you might need business analysts, system analysts in our world, and even commercial and legal and finance people to wrap around a particularly large deal. Like the world of software today, some of the platforms that I've worked on and continue to work on, you're talking systems that really can transform an organization. So they're touching maybe five or six business functions. They're maybe touching sales, operations, finance, even out to their ecosystem of partners as well. So some of the systems that I've worked with, they're very complex. So therefore, it's back to what I said earlier. It's really a team sport now on the selling side because the customer has assembled a team on the buying side, Oshin, right? This typically in a lot of the deals we get involved with today, the buying team can be anywhere from three to 12 people. It really can range from that that, that number today. And um, the go-to-market timeline on a lot of these uh, sales in the pipeline can be months, if not even crossing the year. Exactly. And that's not unusual for most B2B technology products. Like, you know, typically if you've got a product with a an average sales cycle of three months, that's pretty good today. But for enterprise software, you can be up to 12, 18, even 24 months, depending on what you're doing. So you've got to have that tenacity, persistence, diligence, patience, all of those skill sets separate out you know the the top performers you know a customer like one of the observations i've always had is that the very worst sellers are trying to sell to the customer and try and force the discussion around selling ultimately the customer wants to buy but they want to buy on their own terms their own timelines and sometimes patience is really a virtue let the customer buy and let them buy when they want to buy, not when you want to meet your end of quarter target. And John, have you noticed as well, so your background, as you said, was engineering. Have many people that, that, that work with your company, have they come from an engineering background and then gravitate into sales or how does that progression kind of take place within the teams? In terms of this particular company, I'd be the only dedicated salesperson that's come from an engineering background. So the team we have today have come from, you know, traditionally, really focused on sales to be honest with one exception we have one person that is now leading our footprint into the u.s region as well so acting as a general manager of that region as well as leading sales in that region has come from a very similar background to myself engineering background but i would always say for inside sales it can be quite controversial but for inside sales particularly those business development reps, uh, sales development reps, even account executives, account managers, certainly those early phase people, I would say the last person you want 
and the front end of the sales lifecycle is a technical person, right? We deliberately hunt out people that come from a business background, from the business colleges, maybe even from hospitality or even the sporting world. You're you're trying not to get into a technical engineering feature function discussion early in the sales cycle. So my experience is most companies, when they're setting up inside sales functions, they mostly recruit from the business schools. You know, you said you came from a different background. Uh, I also uh, started on the back of the garbage trucks, picking up trash and uh, progressed within the company into marketing and sales and so forth. The difference is I'm in a very traditional, like Dara, I'm in a very traditional uh, selling role where uh, that traditional go out face to face, meet the customer. You're probably online a lot of the time doing demonstrations with the customer in in the virtual world. Is there success or is there a path for that traditional salesman to cross over into the SaaS world? Yeah, no, there very much is. And I've seen um, people actually do this, you know, and I think there's probably two things that you have to, and I heard these words used when I was getting into the world of inside sales first. You've got to be curious and you've got to be coachable. And, you know, there's an old saying in many careers that hard skills get you hired, soft skills get you fired. You know, really soft skills are the differentiator that I've always seen around sales teams and when you look at what are the attributes of a great team it's always around the software skills coachability curiosity willingness to learn adaptability flexibility communication right there's nothing there about being the best at knowing the product or being the best feature function person so if you've got that innate ability machine then to be curious like you know if i think of your experience Yes, you might have been on the back of the truck, but that was only when you had to be. You were learning the business, reaching out to people, fact-finding, figuring out how the whole business works. And I used to take, before, as an engineer, I took a narrow view, like many people do, of salespeople and didn't appreciate their skills and their craft. It's only when I started working with really top-end salespeople and then had to get into the seat myself that I realized that they're actually the smartest people in the business because not only do they have to know end-to-end how your business, your own business works and pull all the functions together to represent that company and brand out to the, the prospect and customer base, they also have to know the customer business and also the customers in this sector. Any top salesperson will know their own business back to front, but they will also be curious enough to know the customer's business and the customer's industry cycle. Right, a, a great example of that might be simple. When it comes to the procurement process, most of the people that we talk to that are buying our solution have no idea how a solution is procured within their own company. They don't understand things like purchase orders, uh, how finance works, how legal works, how procurement works. That's where we stand out, you know, where we can actually, from our experience, say, well, look, this is what we need to get done to get this deal over the line. Here's the types of individual you need to present this to in your organization. And that may seem trivial or 
possibly even condescending, but that is actually the reality which differentiates people. Help your customer to buy. Don't force your selling message on them. Just help them to buy. They have a problem. They just want to buy. John, when the customer doesn't want to buy, um, I, I always believe, you know, a no is not a no. It's just a not now, you know. My, my view is build the relationship. It's better to be a good second than a bad first. What's your view on that in terms of do, do you just walk away or do you go back to it? There's several uh, scenarios. So I mentioned earlier the greatest commodity that a salesperson has is time. So there's two good words in sales. There's yes, which is beautiful, and there's no, which is good because they're giving you back the gift of time and maybe or possibly those wishy-washy type prospects, they are time suckers. So a yes and a no are very, very good. Now, in terms of a no, again, this is not a quote from me, but it's one of my favorite quotes for all salespeople. And this differentiates great salespeople from poor or average. Most salespeople, if they're honest, depending on what you're selling, are probably unaware that they're probably order takers, right? So if the customer says yes quickly, are you really a good salesperson? Or are you an order taker? So a great quote I heard, which informed my thinking, is selling only starts when a customer says no. Right? Very powerful thinking point. Selling only starts when the customer says no. So if you haven't got a rejection, then you're not really selling. So if we get a no, we will absolutely try and get time with the customer to say, okay, we accept that you've told us no. Can we explore your decision? And we ask them in case we can learn anything from it that might help improve our process. And 70% of the time, customers will take time genuinely to come back and just give you the reasons why they may have said no. And we will use that as a learning opportunity for each of us in sales and across the platform, the business, whatever. The other reason about engaging in that conversation when you hear no is if the customer has made a decision, you find out typically who the competition is, who they're actually selecting. Now, you'll respect their decision generally, or if you want, you can maybe try and get back in again. But what it does do is it gives you an opportunity then to set a reminder that in one year's time, in two years' time potentially, that customer is going to have to take that particular application back up for a renewal discussion. So it gives you markers when you can come back in and say, well, how have you found your experience with the solution that you selected? Is there any gaps? Is there things that you would like to, to do differently that we do? That I know is a very, very good source of competitor information, future opportunity gap selling, future opportunity displacement, and also a good way of teaching our salespeople to either get better at their craft or to walk away quickly from any opportunities that we know that there's a better competitor that will beat us every time. Very powerful. You learn much more from rejection than acceptance in all things in life. I heard um, somebody say to me, sales enablement looks after the no, the sales manager looks after the yeses. Walk us through a typical channel uh, sales cycle within channel mechanics and also maybe explain to, to me what exactly uh, channel mechanics does and sells. Let me start with that first and foremost. So in globally, and, and this statistic has not changed in many, many decades, 75% of goods and services that are transacted 
through the world are done via channel partners. So only 25% of product or services sales are done direct either. And that's in the B2B statistics. So if you take, for instance, uh, a good example that we can all relate to, let's take uh, electrical goods. So in Galway, if we just take it local, we've got big stores like uh, DID Electrical, Harvey Norman are selling white goods, which they can sell excuse me, direct to consumers. But backing on to that, uh, the big manufacturers, so if you take the manufacturers of anything from large screen TVs to even computers, they're typically getting to those stores through a channel and it might be a distributor, which is very common, right? We hear the word distribution right across every sector of our economy from food, wine into your business, Dara, like distributors are supplying to the hotel sector, for instance. Um, we take that B2B route. So we do not work in our platform. We have a platform that actually allows vendor companies, the original manufacturers, to get their products out to those distributors and resellers that are then taking it further afield, either into different countries directly to business or into countries who will then ultimately take it into the reseller. So we operate on this incredibly lucrative market space where 75% of world trade is done through partnerships, distributors, resellers. Now, how that has traditionally been done is in very clunky systems, typically human to human, email or Excel spreadsheets, believe it or not, are very antiquated uh, CRM systems. So customer relationship management systems have been designed primarily for B to see or direct B2B business, not designed for partner direct business, partner to partner type relationships. So we operate on what's called the partner relationship management or PRM space. Explain to me the channel cycles that you would use within the channel mechanics. Our target market is the, the actual vendor companies themselves. So the manufacturers of these equipment so good example if i just take a a segment would be a company like mitsubishi would be a customer of ours so they're specializing at the minute in you know modern air conditioning you know very high energy efficient heating systems right so they would go to market through what we would call a distribution network in some countries and a reseller network in other countries depending on the model. So here in Ireland, you will see the Mitsubishi logo. You know, you'll see some of their reseller partners even here in the west of Ireland. They've got, you know, a number of installers, whatever. Uh, what we do is we help them manage those commercial transactions. You know, when they build inventory and equipment, we will actually handle, you know, the tracking of different engagements. So in order to get their product out to those distis, they have to run marketing campaigns. They've got to run sales campaigns. Our platform actually automates the management and tracking of those engagements. If somebody would like to be a partner and sign up to resell, distribute, market products from some of these companies, they can do all of that on our platform. So it's a way of, you know, 
really automating that commerce to commerce transaction across marketing, across sales. But it sounds like a minefield, John. Well, <clears throat> it's a minefield if you don't use a platform like what we offer, Dara, and that's the reality. So, you know, when you think back to most companies starting out, even in their simplest days, you know, when you've not got a lot of customers, but you've got prospects, you're typically working off Excel spreadsheets, but you can't scale a global business or even sometimes an international business by running your business on spreadsheets. It's just not scalable, right? Not humanly possible. And, you know, that's still a good way to start. You know, most companies, particularly SMB companies, uh, even we see it here, tech companies here in Ireland that are scaling, their first outreach is probably off the back of a list of names off a spreadsheet. When you get to the point where you need to go much bigger, you're becoming more proficient, you do need to have a system in place. Most of our customers have a CRM, right? That still becomes their master system of record. And our platform typically integrates or plugs into that CRM to handle the partner sales and marketing side of their business. When I started sales, I struggled with CRMs and managing my CRM. And I think it's something that a lot of sales uh, professionals struggle with, the inputting of data and managing that pipeline. Tell us, in your view, how do we manage our pipeline efficiently and effectively when using CRMs such as Salesforce or one-page CRM or Close or whatever that CRM may be? There's a couple of golden rules, Oshin, that I've seen. There's number one, there should be it person or team that actually owns the CRM data and has to really keep that up to date. Now, within most companies that I've worked in, tech firms, that's owned by marketing, which is where it should be, in my opinion. Right. So the the actual raw data, the context, the customer information, even your partners, if you're using partners, your master source of data should be the CRM. And they've got to have up-to-date contact information, up-to-date emails, people, particularly in the tech world, particularly in tech sales and tech marketing, typically change roles every two to three years. So having data that is out of date is almost worse than not having data in there at all. You're just constantly hitting that spam. So that requires absolute diligence and data cleansing, and that is an ongoing task. So, uh, you know, for our company, we have a team of people that clean that data day in, day out, every week. So we've got a, a data ownership team and a data cleansing function within that that does just pure discipline to do that. Now, let's say you've got that and we're suddenly starting to create a pipeline of sales opportunities. Uh, like most companies, we've got well-defined sales stages, right? I'm not sure what they are. It's sort of a DNA secret for our company, how many we have, but like every company in tech will have stages, you know, from initial introduction call to discovery to demo proposal whatever it might be but the discipline then again and salespeople traditionally were not good at this <clears throat> in i would say in the old days because they were typically out on the road meeting customers very busy people in inside sales you don't have that excuse anymore right inside sales people have absolutely no excuse in my book for not having an up-to-date pipeline because you're sitting in front of your computer and you're sitting in front of the CRM. So when you see change or when you have an update on a deal, put it into the CRM. 
it's it's habit and discipline and i guess one of the advantages that i think that i had from my engineering background is habit and discipline and process and having that and just being disciplined so on our weekly sales call we have a pre-meeting just to make sure everybody has synced their data before we do the global team call right you don't want to be wasting time on it and it's also um part of people's annual objectives and performance review if you do not have a clean pipeline you will be certainly scored down during your interim review so you have to make it an absolutely mandated part of the normal standard working behavioral process you've also got to be seen to be measuring it tracking it and you've got to seen to be taking corrective action if somebody on the team is not doing it but i i can't say it <clears throat> any differently it's it's basically habit and discipline there's no science to it like crm systems are incredibly intuitive incredibly automated and they've evolved an awful lot from to the clunky systems that they once were as well yes you know you can now access them on your phone because correct there really is no excuse yeah and we keep them up to date but i think the other part of that discipline as well and i use these words frequently when i'm talking to salespeople or even given sales talks make sure it's a pipeline and not a pipe dream if it's a deal that you know and the customer or prospect has said is never going to happen or won't happen get it out of your pipe dream get it out of your pipeline and the other words so we have certain words certainly that i ban when i'm doing sales or pipeline reviews you know i hope it's going to close next week i hope it's going to close next quarter my favorite sales people are what i call hopeless i like working with hopeless sales people right i don't believe hope in sales is not a strategy it really is is it going to happen is it not going to happen what's blocking it from happen can we do anything to make it happen but if you're telling me your hope is going to happen you're not really getting the message and that's a that's a strong discipline i suppose to have particularly when you're sometimes dealing with clients whose decision making process is as you said earlier on 12 months 18 months or, or further down the track yeah and again things change so you know we've seen two major seismic changes again disrupting all our businesses in the last couple of years we obviously had the severe shutdown of many business travel opportunities which is typically how sales people work both nationally and internationally so how do we get beyond that so you've got to really focus the minds on what's real what's not real and then we've seen this sweeping range of cuts across the tech sector we've seen potential risk now coming with silicon valley bank into the tech sector does that you know stall some of the emerging companies that could be future customers so you know back to what ashin said earlier there's a constant change going on every single day in sales and rightly or wrongly you know the sales prime has to be calling their pipeline has to be tuning it every week day in day out but it's something that we are very systematic about that you must know your pipeline you must be tuning your pipeline every week what are some of the most important metrics um, to track in your sales process john the most important one for any of us is 
close win rate. Right, that's still the most important one now, and that's deal win rate. There's another metric that we can look at, which is pipeline close win rate. But the most important one for us is close win rate, not just in terms of new customers, but in terms of revenue as well. So are we bringing in, you know, and within the technology sector, there's very well established metrics, Ashin, for, you know, technology purchase, you know, you must be winning at least 20%. You know, and again, I think this is one of the things that anybody that hasn't worked in sales and are often challenged by it, you need to have a very strong stomach to work in an industry where you fail 80% of the time, right? But when you change their mindset and say, if you get to a 20% win rate in tech sales, you're at least industry average, a good industry average at that. So that's very encouraging for people. But Close win rate is very, very important. Pipeline conversion rate, you know, becoming much more important as well in terms of, well, how many opportunities in the pipeline that you have this year that you actually closed and how many of them are going to flow into either next year, next quarter, whatever it might be. But there is no shortage of the number of things you can measure tech sales performance by. I'm an engineer. I do like science, mathematics, and numbers, but I do feel there's a danger that, you know, so many people get focused on measurement and don't focus on outcome, right? I'm more interested in the outcome. Are we growing the business? Are we winning new customers or whatever? And I use this expression, are you measuring yourself to death, right? Do you have too many numbers? You know, again, a great leader that I work with taught us to focus on metrics that matter. You can measure a hundred things, right? So if you look at any system, look at the new electronic instrumentation on our cars, particularly electric cars, what is the most important metric on that dashboard? There's probably only one or two that you really focus the mind, particularly if you're driving an electric vehicle. Do we have enough charge to get us to our destination? Do we have enough pipeline to grow the business to the level that we said we were going to grow? And have we actually closed the business that we said we would to get us to those numbers. So you can measure a hundred things, but I think because of the numbers of measures out there, there's too many people measuring themselves to death. John, one piece of advice you give to any salesperson to improve their process or their pipeline. I think what I would say is always be listening and learning, right? And that's, you know, if I look at the work that both of you are doing, there's no right or wrong answer. I'm just sharing experiences, but I've had the great fortitude and fortune to get in front of people, listen to podcasts, go to workshops, and take a little bit from many, many different sources. I would say that, you know, the world of sales has transformed in the last 10 years into this inside sales model. When we look at what's coming down the pipe with the use of machine learning and artificial intelligence, you know, you're now seeing tools like ChatGPT being used to write sales call scripts, marketing call scripts. You're now seeing these tools scientifically unpick recordings of calls and it'll actually pick out keywords that you said that you shouldn't have said or words that you said that are very good and reinforcing. I would say constantly be listening and learning and trying to pick the things. But ultimately, every salesperson has got their own unique calling code. Like, what's that one thing that you can say that engages a customer? Like, for me, it's very simple. Like My opening sequence 
with any of the customers that I speak to or prospects is my background is an engineer. I'm here today to listen to the problem that you're trying to solve. And if we can honestly solve it, I will tell you because I got into this role of sales because I was sick of salespeople selling stuff that we don't do. I am not that person. And that has got me a disproportionate amount of goodwill, trust on the first call and disproportionate number of sales wins just by using that as my calling card. And it's not just a calling card. You're being your honest, true self. You're saying, here I am. Here's who I am. Yeah. John, thank you very much. That was brilliant. Thanks, John. John, if people want to learn a bit more about John McArdle, um, how can they find you? Always best to find me on LinkedIn and um, I'll be under the moniker John McArdle 1. Thanks, John. Brilliant. Thanks, John. You're welcome. You're welcome, Oisin. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Sales Expert Podcast. I hope you found our conversation with our guests insightful and informative. If you've enjoyed today's episode and are motivated and inspired to hear more from top sales professionals, be sure to subscribe and follow the podcast to keep up to date with our latest weekly episodes. Also, if you're new to this podcast, please have a listen back to the previous episodes. If you'd like to contribute as a guest, please drop us an email to salesexpertpodcast at gmail.com. Our mission is to bring you valuable and insightful strategies from the best and brightest minds in the sales industry so you can level up your sales game and achieve your goals. Thank you for listening and we'll join you next week on the Sales Expert Podcast.